Welcome to this Sunday morning's message podcast from Kingdom Faith. Today's message is by Pastor Colin Urquhart. You know, on the lectern here, there's a, a fire evacuation card. And I want the fire to fall. I don't want to be evacuated by the fire. So, hallelujah. It's always an inspiration to the preachers who come up here. There needs to be fire in what you say. Hallelujah. Now, Pastor Clive has no idea what God has laid on my heart to preach about this morning, but the prophetic word that he brought earlier opens up the way completely for what God wants to say and to do amongst us, because he doesn't want to just speak, he wants to do things in our lives. Amen? Turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. What we need to understand is that this is not a conventional church. God has not called Kingdom Faith Church to be a conventional church. He's called us to be what church is supposed to be, which is not conventional, but a kingdom people that are living kingdom life and seeing the kingdom of God being extended as a result. So we don't try to be like other churches, and that's not saying anything in judgment on other churches. We've just got to be true to our own calling. And this is what God wants to speak to us about this morning, because, yes, we obviously have a burden for Israel, but our calling is much bigger than that. It's, that's one of our core values, but it's just one. God's call is for us to be a kingdom people. And he wants to speak to us this morning about what that means. And he says in... Uh, Chapter 6 of Matthew, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 31. So do not worry. None of you ever worry, do you? You see, if you ever worry, you have immediately disobeyed the word of the Lord. Hello. John Wesley said that's the commandment of Jesus that everybody disobeys. (laughs) He was probably right. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? None of you ladies would ever ask such a question, (laughs) would you? For the pagans run after these things. So every time you say, I haven't got a thing to wear, you're just acting like a pagan. (laughs) Just thought I'd slip that in on on the, the way through to what God wants to say. Hallelujah. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be yours as well. They will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. You probably believe that part. Okay, now just turn on to chapter 16. I mean, you know those words well, and you know the words we're going to look at in chapter 16 well as well. 
This is Jesus talking to the disciples, Caesarea Philippi, when they've just recognized that he is the Christ, he's the Messiah. And he says to them in verse 24, And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will find it. Now what does it mean to be a kingdom people? Of course this is kingdom faith church. So that shows where the emphasis has always been and of course kingdom faith existed before we had the church comes out of the call of God to be part of the fulfillment of what he told us to pray that the kingdom will come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our Bible college or training center, doesn't matter what you call it, it is what it is, is also different and distinctive. I've spoken in Bible colleges all over the world and I can tell you there is something unique about our college because we're not simply teaching people the word of God but encountering God his kingdom being established in the life of the students in a way that is only possible when people give themselves and devote themselves to the Lord in the way in which they do. They have the opportunity to do that, drawing apart from uh, other things in the world to devote that time to meeting with God as well as learning uh, about his purposes for their lives. And we've just finished what uh, has been one of the most powerful terms that we've had in the history of the college. And the college has existed for 35 years, I think, something like that. So that's uh, over 100 terms, and this has been one of the most powerful. And it began with the revelation that God was speaking into our hearts that most people, most Christians settle for the permissive will of God rather than the sovereign will of God. And I did speak about that a few weeks ago and just point out to you that the permissive will of God is what he allows. The sovereign will of God is what he wants. And most people settle for what God allows in their lives, so there is some obedience, some submission to him, to his will, to his word. But there's also compromise and also areas of disobedience and so on. Now his sovereign will, the word sovereign means to reign alone. So his sovereign will is established in the lives of people 
where Jesus Christ reigns alone. Other things do not reign alongside him. He reigns alone. So his sovereign will can only be established where he rules and reigns. So to be a kingdom people is not to be simply those who go to church and say prayers and read the Bible, but we are a people in whom Jesus Christ alone reigns. Thank you for your affirmation. Everybody saying amen. Now this is the call of God on our lives. It's a high calling. And the scripture says, live up to your high calling. Don't reduce the level of the calling of God upon your life. And God has brought you here and made you a member of this church because he intends to enable you to live according to that high calling, to be able to fulfill it. And he's actually done in you, given to you, imparted to you, what is necessary for there to be the fulfillment of that call upon your life. Now, I appreciate that not all of us are able to drop everything and go to a Bible college or training center, but it would be great if more of the people in the church here did do that. Some of you have done that. You've organized your lives in such a way that you've been able to do that because, of course, it does, <coughs> giving God that time gives him the opportunity to do so much in your life. So I'm, don't hesitate in promoting that as a possibility for you. Those of you that have come to faith camp uh, every year know how much God does in your life during the course of a week. Why? Because you've made a week available to him. What would happen if you made a year available to him? What could he possibly do in your life as a result of that? Obviously, a great deal. But notwithstanding, God is going to fulfill his call in our lives, whether we go to Bible college or not. Because the fulfillment of his purpose is dependent upon him and upon his word, upon what he has done and what he enables by his spirit. Now, I'm not going to say to you new things this morning. I'm going to remind you of truths which I trust you know well. But you've often heard me say it's not what you know in the Christian life that matters, but what you do with what you know. That the revelation that God gives us is actually to be expressed in practice. And that prophetic word that Pastor Clyde brought earlier was God impressing that upon us. That he wants to see the practical outworking in our lives of what it is that he has done for us in Christ. So what has he done? Well, we're approaching the time now when we, we focus especially on the passion and the crucifixion of Jesus. Although, of course, that is 
center of our Christian life all the time, the cross and the resurrection. But in this season, the whole church everywhere focuses on that. So what has Jesus accomplished for you so that you can live in the good of it? Well, just to put it very simply, you no longer exist. That's what the cross means. You no longer exist. The person that was born, naturally of a mother and father, no longer exists. That person was crucified with Christ. Before you could receive a new birth, the first life had to end. You can't put the second birth on top of the first birth. The first birth, or the first life, if you like, has to end, and then new birth was the beginning of a new life. The old life had ended. Now, what undoes a lot of Christians is they hear that kind of thing and they say it's unreal. I'm very much alive. And if everything that belonged to my old life was indeed dead and buried and I didn't have any worries or any overhang of things that happened to me in the past, I would be delighted. I would be free. But that's not the reality. Well, is God wrong? Or is the reality of what we're experiencing wrong? Hello? If the revelation that God gives is that you have been crucified with Christ, then that is the reality. That is the truth. And it's only by believing the truth that we will live in victory over whatever was part of that former person that you were. Now, some people will say, ah, but Pastor Colin, the trouble is my flesh. Because the flesh is your natural life, independent of God. And of course, in the old life, you lived in the flesh. But in the new life, the flesh is still very evident. There are still things in your thinking, in your speaking, in your relationships, in your actions, in your attitudes, that are the flesh and not the spirit. They don't come from the spirit. If they don't come from the spirit, they either come from the devil or the flesh. So it's better to think they come from the flesh than from the devil. But the devil stirs up the flesh. So does the existence of the flesh excuse us for not living perfectly in the sovereign will of God. No, unfortunately that one, that argument won't work either. Because according to the scripture, your flesh has been crucified together with its passions. Hello.
Well, if the flesh has been crucified, how can the flesh still operate in my life? Well, of course, if you don't believe it's crucified, then it can still operate. If you don't believe that what is in your past has died with Christ, then it can still have an influence on your life. Why? Because God has called us as a kingdom people to live by faith in what he has accomplished. And if we don't believe what he has accomplished, then we don't live in the good of what he's accomplished, and we get deceived into thinking that we are going to function at a lower level in his permissive will rather than in his sovereign will. Now, I want to make this very simple because I'm a simple guy. And, you know, I'm... the. The thing that I've always, the the principle upon which I've always worked throughout my 55 years of ministry is that I will never preach anything to anyone unless I can tell them how to do it. If you tell people what they should do but you don't tell them how to do it, you preach law and not grace. It's the grace of God that shows us how to do it. So how do we live in the will of God, in the way that he intends. How can we walk in the freedom of which the scripture speaks? How can we always be led in Christ's triumphal procession? Which is what the scripture says. How can we live in that way whereby we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow after Jesus and fulfill his plan and purpose for our lives. What's the secret? Well, of course, the scripture gives us the secret. The secret is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, Paul understood all this. God actually raised Paul up in the kind of ministry he had, to bring us all the scriptures because he was so good, he was a very clever guy, but in explaining what God had accomplished through the cross and resurrection. Obviously, Jesus could not explain all that during his ministry because it hadn't happened yet. But once it had happened, God raised up an intellectual, because Paul was an intellectual. He raised him up so that explanation could be given of what God had accomplished through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the, well, all his epistles contribute towards that, but especially Romans and Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and Thessalonians. And, uh, revelation. And the two letters to Corinth aren't bad either. So much teaching about what God has accomplished. Out of his own experience, Paul knew through his encounter with Jesus, I no longer live. What did he say to the Galatians? Chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. 
Now, you have to identify with that because when Jesus went to the cross, he not only took Saul of Tarsus, he took you. Scripture is clear. If one man has died, all mankind has died. What he did on the cross was for all mankind. So you can identify with that. But when Jesus went to the cross, because that is a historic event that happened nearly 2,000 years ago, it's not dependent upon your experience, not dependent upon your emotion, not dependent upon anything that has taken place in your life. It is solely what God did at a moment in history. Jesus Christ took you and all sinful humanity to the cross and he put you to death. It was a representative act for the whole of humanity for every generation, past, present and future. It was a spiritual act in history. So when you came to Christ, Jesus didn't have to get up on the cross and get crucified all over again. You were able to participate in what he had accomplished through the cross that he bore 2,000 years ago. Now, at the time of the crucifixion, Saul of Tarsus was an enemy of the gospel. He was an enemy of Christ. For the early years of the church, he was persecuting the church. He didn't know Jesus personally in the flesh. But when he encountered him, he discovered the truth of what God had accomplished for him on the cross. I, Saul of Tarsus, have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But now Christ lives in me. What happens at the new birth? Christ comes to live in you. What happens when you're filled with the Spirit? The Spirit of Christ fills you, fills your life. But then that's not the end of the verse. Paul continues by saying, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, Paul is saying, Jesus has done something historically for me. When he died, he took me to the cross and I died with him. Now, there is something for me to do. I have to live by faith in what he has done for me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The problem for most Christians is when they look at themselves, they can see that they're not yet perfect. That's a very easy thing to do. It's a very discouraging thing to do and the scripture actually tells us not to do it because we're aware of our imperfections without dwelling upon them and nothing is ever gained by looking at your imperfections, your sins, your failures. Uh, God has given us the blood of Jesus to wash us clear of those things so that we do not need to dwell upon them. Hallelujah. Thought I'd say that because nobody else did. So praise God. So this is what he has accomplished. Paul understands that he is called to a life of faith in what Jesus did. 
Therefore, he understood that I, Saul of Tarsus, no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In me. Me. In me. Now, what undoes most Christians is they're trying to ask God to improve me. Because they can see all kinds of things that are wrong with me. And so, Lord, please do something about me. Does this register with you? Right, okay. So God's answer to that is, I did something for me. I put me to death. I didn't improve me. I put me to death. My program for your life is not to improve you, but to replace you. I knew that there was nothing you could do to serve my kingdom purposes. So I killed you off and put Christ in you instead. So, you still have a self-life, a soul life, just as Jesus did, or you couldn't exist as a person. Your soul life is your natural life. Christ in you is your spiritual life. So, the question always for all of us is, am I going to live according to my natural life, or am I going to live according to my, natural, to my spiritual life? Am I going to live according to my human nature or am I going to live according to my divine nature? And Peter says that God has blessed us in such a way that he has enabled us through his divine nature reproduced in us to have everything we need for life and godliness. His divine nature has given us everything we need for life and godliness, he says. Why? Well, if you have Christ in you, you have everything you need for life and godliness. If you have Christ in you, not just a blessing from Christ, but Christ himself. If you have Christ himself in you, you are complete. You have something that is so whole, so powerful, that it's, you, you can't even put it into words. So here's the crazy thing, that what we so often do and what Christians so often do is they have Christ in them, but they're depending upon themselves still instead of on him. What can God do? He said, well, I put Christ in you. Why don't you depend upon him? You see, what we want is to imagine that there can be something about me that can serve the Lord. Surely there is something I can do for God. And he says, no, thank you very much. I'm so much greater than you. There's absolutely nothing you can do for me. The whole Christian life is not what you can do for me, but what I can do for you. 
And what I can do for you is to give you the life and the fullness of life of my son. So he lives in you. Not to improve you, but to replace you with his life. Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute, Pastor. Do, doesn't the scripture talk about him changing us from one degree of glory to another? Yes, yes, yes. But where is the glory? In you or in Christ in you? You see, the secret is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So how does the glory increase in your life? By you not working and Christ in you working instead. Then there's more and more and more glory. So, you know, sometimes when God puts challenging things in front of people, they say, I can't. They're absolutely right. You can't. But you're not supposed to anyway. You're supposed to trust in him because he will. When you trust him, he will always enable you. Hello? You see, we must preach the gospel. I'm preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, not Another gospel, not another Jesus. Not a Jesus that just exists to make your life a little bit better. No, 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 no. That's not the gospel. The gospel is if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself because he put that self-life to death on the cross and now Christ is in you. He is your life. He is the one who is to rule and reign so that his sovereign will and purpose is fulfilled in your life. Wow! So, every one of us, no matter what our calling, whatever our anointing, if you're a born-again believer, Jesus Christ lives in you. You can't feel him because he's not an emotion. He is spirit, not a feeling. So, this is where your faith has to operate. I believe what the Word of God says, that Christ is in me. Now, if Christ is in me, no matter what is happening in my life, I've got the choice of trusting in myself, which would be foolish, if God's estimate of my self-life is that there is nothing good about it. Jesus says there's nothing good in your flesh. Nothing good in your self-life apart from him. Nothing good. Absolutely nothing good. You see, when God looked upon us as sinful humanity, he said, there's only one thing I can do, crucify them. I've got to suffer the penalty of death that they deserve. There's no way in which I can improve their flesh life, their self-life. It's just impossible. If if God knew it was possible for for him to improve that self-life, he would have sent Jesus to improve the self-life and Jesus wouldn't have needed to die on the cross. But God knew, no, there's no way. There's no way because it doesn't matter how spiritual they are, it doesn't matter how obedient they are, it doesn't matter Uh, how much they have grown in maturity in the things of God, still at any moment they can function in the flesh. They can function in self. It doesn't matter how spiritual they are, they're still capable of functioning in something that is not good in my eyes. 
So God knew, that's not the way, that's not the way, that's not going to accomplish my purposes. The only way in which my purposes can be accomplished on earth is through Christ himself. Now that he has returned to heaven, it's Christ alone who can fulfill the purposes of God, but he has to do it through those in whom he now lives. So we look at the nation and we see all kinds of ungodly things that are going on in the nation and even in many of the churches in the nation. And the answer to that is Christ in you. We could say, well, the answer is Christ. Yes, but how is Christ going to operate? Through those in whom he lives. So you are the answer or part of the answer. And you see, Jesus Christ would not have come to live in you if God did not consider you part of the answer. Amen? So we've got to have a transformation in our thinking. God, you've called me to part of the answer, to be one of those through whom your sovereign will is going to be worked out here on earth. That's a high calling. I'm not going to put my tail between my legs and go scurrying off to some other church where perhaps they don't have such an exalted idea of your calling. Well, let me tell you, this is not an exalted idea of the calling. This is just what the scripture says. This is what God's calling is upon every Christian of every church. So we don't want to try to run away from the call of God, but we want to face up to the call of God. So Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny that self-life. Deny that which I crucified and, and put to death so that it does not control your life or influence your life in the way that, that will happen if you do not deny it. You see, he didn't say improve it. He said deny it. He didn't say employ it. He said deny it. Are you breathing still? So, we have a wonderful future ahead of us. Because that future is Christ in us. And if if we allow the Christ in us to work through us, then things are going to get greater and greater and greater. Amen? You know, this is the gospel that ought to be preached before anybody even surrenders their life to Jesus. This is what I used to teach people before they became believers. That they're going to die. And God is going to make them a brand new creation. And that their future will be Christ in them, not their natural lives. And because they were taught that at the beginning, that's what they lived from the beginning. And we found ourselves in revival, though we didn't understand the word. We found ourselves happening. But simply because we were believing the gospel. You see, we do not live to try to make God attractive to people. We've got to become attractive to God. The Christian life isn't, 
you know, we, we accept Jesus because he'll, he'll give you such a, a new and wonderful life. Yes, he will. But the cost of it to us is that's the end of your life for yourself. Now it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what he's going to do on the day of judgment is to hold us all to account, how have you lived the new life for my glory? How did Christ live in you and work through you? So Jesus says to the disciples just before he goes to the cross, live in me and I will continue to live in you. Now this was revolutionary. I mean, they'd had Christ living with them for three and a half years, but now he says, I'm going to live in you. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't be full of grief if you realized that something even more wonderful is about to happen to you. Something more wonderful than having Christ with you, you're going to have Christ in you. And when you have Christ in you, then you will bear much fruit, and you will bear fruit that will last. And my spirit will come upon you. When I pray, when I return to the Father, I'll pray and ask Him to pour out His Holy Spirit upon you so that Christ in you can work through you in the way that I desire. So the sovereign will of God can only be fulfilled by Christ in you. Cannot be fulfilled by you trying to do the will of God. I speak from long experience. <laughs> See, the thing about it, if you, if you preach the gospel to others, you have to live it. And it's only by living it that you discover what really works and what doesn't. Because I have a flesh life like you have a flesh life. My flesh life has to be kept in its place, just like your flesh life has to be kept in its place. So I have to recognize I was crucified with Christ. That flesh life was put to death so that it would no longer control my life. Some of you look stunned. I mean, this is, you know this stuff. Don't you? The great thing is, we can live in the good of it. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Where is He? In heaven? Yes, but also in me and in you. Can you understand we're talking about spiritual realities here? That the Christ in you is one with Christ in heaven. The Holy Spirit of Christ lives in you in order that God's heavenly will can be expressed in your life and be outworked in your life. Now, we're coming into a new season. One season gives way to another in nature, but also in the spiritual life. We've had a good season this last season. What God has been doing, not only in the college, but what he's been doing amongst us here Time of impartation. Those were very, very powerful encounter nights we had at the beginning of term. The students have the advantage of being able to have a kind of an encounter night every day in the college. They, they encounter God every day. We, we, we don't, in, in the congregation, we don't all have the opportunity for that. The, the uh, advantage of that. 
But God wants us to continue to encounter him. But he's going to take us now into a new place of faith. Your enthusiasm is overwhelming. Look, without faith it's impossible to please God. His purposes can only be fulfilled by faith. The life I now live in the body, says Paul, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith in the one who lives within me. The one who is going to work through me. So what's going to happen? Well, that prophetic word actually expressed what is going to happen. All the obstacles in your life are going to be removed. All the walls that have been like barriers are going to be pulled down. All the situations in your life that have gone on, you know, negative things for a period of time, they're going to be resolved in the name of Jesus because we are going to rise up as a people of faith and believe what he has done for us and believe what he says about us, believe that Christ is in us and the Christ in us cannot be defeated, he cannot fail, he always is victorious, he always overcomes. And if we depend upon the Christ in us, then we are going to prevail, we are going to overcome, we are going to be a victorious people, we are going to be a kingdom people, we are going to see the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ being extended through our lives. But we rise up in faith. Faith isn't knowing what is right, it's trusting in what is right. You've got to know it first, of course. So this is an amazing revelation that we've had in our Bibles all the time. Christ in you. This is the secret. You know, you can be, you can be involved in all kinds of situations, praying about something, worrying about it. No, no, never. Perish the thought. Anxiety, all, all these things. And you say, Lord, what's the answer? Christ in you. No, 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 Lord, I want to know the answer. I need a revelation. Christ in you. Oh, no, 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 show me, show me what needs to happen. Christ in you. You see, so often we're looking outside. Where, where, Lord, is the problem? Where is the answer? Where is the solution? Within you. It's within you. But you don't believe it. You keep looking outside of yourself when the answer is within you. Because Christ is in you. You know, we, we look for healing outside of ourselves. And no, Christ is in you. The healer is within you. The healing is within you. doesn't matter what the situation we, we say you know Jesus is always the answer and he is but where is the answer in you then why don't I get the answer because you don't trust in the one who's in you the life I now live in the body I live by faith in the son of God crucified me so that I no longer live. My new identity is Christ in me.
When, when, when I've led people to the Lord, I've often said to them, you now have a new identity. Your identity is John in Christ, Mary in Christ. That's your name. And if you are John in Christ, then Christ is in you. Amen? Amen. Abide in me and I in you. Live in me and I in you, says Jesus. This is the amazing thing. And if we, if we walked by faith in what Jesus has done, I think so often we wouldn't get into the mess that we sometimes get into. And then we ask him to redeem the mess. And I think part of the repentance we need at such times is to say, Lord, forgive me for not trusting in Christ within me. Amen. What a God. Is this not the mercy of God? Is this not the grace of God? Is this not the love of God? I mean, how much he must love you for the Son of God to live in you. How much mercy does that take? How much grace? We can never doubt his mercy. Never doubt his grace. Never doubt his love. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Hope always looks to the future positively. Yeah. Hallelujah. We're going to see things that we've never seen before. We're going to see God move like we've never seen him before. In the church, not just in the Bible college, in the church. Why? Because Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Yes. Amen. Yes. And he has laid this message on my heart this morning because he's saying to us as a people, it's time for you to rise up yeah. in faith yeah. and trust in the Christ in you and see what he will do. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Whew. Hallelujah. Oh, there's so much more I wanted to say about, you know, Christ in you means you, you can, you pray kingdom prayer with kingdom authority and kingdom faith and no kingdom power and kingdom joy and kingdom love. Everything's kingdom. <laughs> Everything's kingdom because he's ruling and reigning in you. Now, but just, just, just close your eyes now. Thank him. Thank him for his call upon your life. That he chose you before the creation of the world. He predestined you in love to be adopted, to be his child. 
Hallelujah. Now, thank him for what he has done historically for you. Thank him that when he went to the cross, your life was in him, your natural life, the life with which you were born. You were crucified with him. So thank him that he came and identified so completely with you that you were crucified with him. He put that old life to death. He crucified the flesh together with its passions and desires. Hallelujah. Paul says, you have crucified the flesh together with its passions and desires. Why? Because you believed what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Are you thanking him for his love? That he chose you? He's shown you such mercy? He's shown you such grace? That he's given you a completely new identity from the one you were born with. That now your new identity is Christ in you. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. Thank him for your new identity. Now the scripture tells us to believe that he is who he is, but you also have to believe that you are who you are. So thank him. Thank him now. Just say, Lord, thank you for the spirit of faith operating in my life now to enable me to believe all that you have done for me and to be able to trust in Christ within me. Thank you, Lord, that today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, they're going to be different because now I'm going to trust in Christ in me and not in myself. I'm not even going to say, help me to do things, Lord. I'm going to say, no, not me, Lord. You do it. You do it in me. You do it through me. I'm trusting you, Lord. I want you to speak through me. I want you to act through me. I want you to work through me. I just want to cooperate with you. I just want to give you the space. I want to give you the room. Hallelujah. Remember, there can only be one driver of a car. It's either Jesus or you. Either Jesus is the driver and you're the passenger, or you're the driver and Jesus is the passenger. Well, you just know which way it's got to be, isn't it? Jesus is driving the car and you're the passenger. Amen? So can you say to him this morning, Lord, you're in charge. No, come on, come on. Not, not, don't stand there mumbling. Come on, talk to him. Let him hear your voice. Never mind other people around you. They're not listening to you. They're engaged with Jesus himself. Come on, tell him, Lord. Not I, but Christ. It's not I, but Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you that the future is going to be different from the past because you are now taking me to a new dimension of faith. I believe what you've done. I believe that you're in me and I'm going to trust in your presence within me like I've never trusted before. 
I believe, Lord, you're going to take me to a new level of faith. And that that begins this morning with responding to this revelation of your word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I want you to really praise God now. Just really praise him. Christ in me. Christ in me. Christ in me. Can you see the temptation to believe another gospel that is less than this? To preach a partial truth? To preach a compromising gospel? Because this sounds so extraordinary. It sounds so great. It seems impossible. But it isn't. This is the word of God. This is what Jesus came to accomplish. This is the reality. This is the truth. Nothing less than this. Anything less than this is not the good news. It's not the gospel. It's not the truth. This is the truth. Hallelujah. We're not going to live below the level of the truth, are we? Amen? Oh, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We bless you for all that you have done for us in Jesus. And we thank you for this amazing revelation. Lord, we knew it before, but perhaps you've established it in a fresh way in our hearts this morning so that now we're going to believe it and live in the good of it and trust in your presence within us. Thank you we're going to see you at work this week. No matter where we are, what we're doing, there's going to be much less of us and much more of you because we're going to give you the room. We're going to give you the space. And we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And there's going to be much healing in our lives. And there's going to be much life flowing out of us and into the lives of others. The life of Jesus Christ flowing through us. And we give you all the glory. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com.